Well, who's got their bracelet on today? All right. And if you weren't here, this, if you weren't here last week, this is our strategy bracelet. It says Friendship SBC, and it's got our church strategy for growth, which is know, grow, show, and go. That's know the gospel, grow the church, show the gospel, and go to the mission field. Now, if you don't have one of these, we have them in a basket right outside the door. We want everyone to pick up one on their way out so you can go represent the church. Matter of fact, it was so awesome. On Tuesday, I was talking to a guy from our church. He was at work, and uh, he went by the receptionist's desk, and the receptionist started asking him questions about the bracelet as we were on the phone. And I heard his conversation with her, and that was so cool to me. She was asking about it and what the four things meant, and he got to share with her our church strategy. So here's what we're going to do today. Last week was an overview of those four things, no, grow, show, go. Today we're going to focus on one part, and that is know the gospel. Know the gospel. Turn with me in your notes, in your bulletin. You've got an outline there, and I will read this quote from a guy named Thabiti Anyabwili. And uh, he puts... Uh, He hits the nail right on the head when he says this. The greatest need in the church today is the gospel. The gospel is not only news for a perishing world. It is a message that forms, sustains, and animates the church. The gospel is not just news for a perishing world. It is a message that forms, sustains, and animates the church. The problem is that there's too few Christians who actually know what the gospel is. There's a lot of Christians that if you asked them on the street, can you tell me what is the gospel, they wouldn't really know how to put it into words. But listen, this is part of our strategy, and let me tell you something. We're going to be outlining what that strategy looks like. I mentioned this last week. The reason we come to church is to know the gospel. The reason we gather in Sunday school to open up the Word of God together is to know the gospel. We've got to know it before we show it. And so today, here's what I'm, uh, we're talking about the gospel, but not just what it is. In a way, we have to declare what it's not. We have to declare what it's not to understand what's left over and what it is. Where we're coming out of today in the Word of God is this. And I haven't printed complete scriptures because I want you to turn there in your Bible. Is 1 Corinthians 1, 18. Maybe you're already there. And hopefully a lot of you are because I don't hear many pages flipping. I can't really hear the iPhones turning, right? Pulling out the smartphone. I was sharing with someone this morning, I'm a big advocate of carrying an actual Bible because you can highlight it, you can underline it, you can mark it, and you become familiar with it. It's real easy to just search your smartphone for Corinthians. But when you're out there in Africa on a mission trip, you don't have your smartphone, and you're witnessing to some tribes person about the gospel, where are you going to turn? Learn how to familiarize yourself with the the physical Bible, with the Word of God. We're going to read 1 Corinthians 1, 18, all the way through 1 Corinthians 1, 31. 
The word of God says this, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has God not made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For Jews request a sign, and Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, to the Jews a stumbling block, and to the Greeks foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For you see, you're calling brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many were called that were mighty, not many that were noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world. And the things which are despised of God that he has chosen. And the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are. That no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him you are in Christ Jesus who became for us wisdom of God and righteousness, sanctification, and redemption, that as it is written, he who glorifies, let him glory in the name of the Lord. May God bless the reading of his word. First of all, we got to understand this. We got to understand that the gospel cannot be understood by flesh. Our carnal mind cannot understand the gospel. If the gospel has been enlightened to you, it's because the Spirit has revealed it. It's not because you were smart. It's not because you were intelligent. It's because God shone a light of grace onto your heart and the gospel was illuminated to you. Your flesh cannot understand it. You certainly can't understand it when you're sleeping in church. Sometimes that happens. The gospel cannot be understood by the flesh. But what happens is that though the preaching of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, for those who are being saved, it is power. You see, first of all, the gospel sounds through the saved. The gospel sounds through the saved. That means as God is saving us, his gospel becomes proclaimed. I heard this the other day. Somebody says, God needs us. Or that God needs us to share the gospel. Well, let me tell you something, friend. First of all, God doesn't need anything. The key is that God wants us to be involved. God wants you to be involved in sharing the gospel. God wants you to carry the greatest news ever on the face of the earth to people who don't already have it. You see, it says the preaching of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. Friend, can I tell you something today? Whether you've meditated on this or not, at one time or another, you were perishing. You and I were at one time or another on the express lane towards condemnation. We were on the highway to hell. But God stepped in. Come on, somebody. 
I pray for God to send me some black folks in the church because they talk to me. <laughs> now listen, I came from a congregation in the ghetto. I'd get the first point out and somebody would stand up, well, well, preacher. Right? I need a little help. But Jesus stepped in and rescued me. He rescued me. You didn't step your foot on a rock. Jesus put your foot on the rock. You didn't pull yourself out of the miry clay. Jesus pulled you out of the miry clay. You see, when you realize where you were heading, maybe you'll start getting excited about where you're going. The reason a lot of Christians ain't excited because they didn't know that they were on their way to hell. They didn't know that eternal fire awaited them because of our sinfulness. Said, preacher, you call me a bad person? Yes! <laughs> Every single one of us. We worship false idols. We love things other than God. We had lusts in our life to try to feed our carnal flesh instead of relying on the Holy Spirit. We were all breakers of the law of God. But this isn't about how bad we are. It's about how good God is. You see, here's the difference in preaching the law and preaching grace. A law preacher will beat you over the head, right? You're a sinner. You're going to hell. But a grace preacher says, he was beaten. He stepped in. You see the difference? A grace preacher points you to Jesus. I don't have to tell you that you're pretty rotten. You get up every morning and think that yourself. Preacher don't have to tell you that. (laughs) Put a scale in your bathroom. Not to see how light you are, but to see how heavy you are. We all got problems. But God's molding us into the image of his son Jesus. At one time, you thought that Christians were just a bunch of weak people who needed a crutch to get them through life. You thought that the Christians just believed in a bunch of fairy tales and it made them feel safe and comfort. Well, have you ever heard the phrase, there's no atheists in foxholes? I did a study of what called NDE, near-death experiences of atheists. I wanted to see when atheists are about to die, what happens to them? Brother George, something amazing that I found. 50% of atheists say they encountered Jesus in the afterlife. The other 50% of atheists said in near-death experience, they encounter hell. Now tell me this. Why does someone who grows up their whole life believing God doesn't exist encounter Jesus and the devil when it comes time for their life to end? You see, what they had said for a long time were that the manifestations of our flesh, when we're about to die, they think of things that we want to be there. An atheist doesn't want to see Jesus. I guarantee they don't want to see hellfire. But those are what the statistics showed. See, you may think Christian, uh, Christianity is just for the weak until God breaks you down. And then you realize it'll make you strong. You see... No matter what you thought about Christianity, something got a hold of your heart. Something got a hold of your mind. And oh, what kind of miracle it is that any one of us believes. The fact that you're sitting in church right now is a miracle. Because you could be laid up recovering from the bar. You could be in jail. Matter of fact, some of you were in jail. And God brought you out. But the fact that we're sitting here is a testimony to God. That he saw fit to save us. 
And now, the message which you thought was a silly fairy tale is a daily miracle giving life to your soul. Think of it this way. Imagine you have one of those old furnaces in your house. You know, they used to make all those creaking noises. I grew up with those in elementary school. They got real hot. Now imagine that your dad tells you, son, don't touch that furnace. It's very hot. You have an intellectual knowledge that it's hot. But then dad walks out of the room. And what happens when dad tells you not to touch something? You guarantee you're going to touch it. Dad walks out of the room. You go over there. Say, I'm going to find out for myself. You see, you've moved from intellectual knowledge to experience. And once you've experienced the heat, no one can explain to you that it's not hot. See, the problem is, once you've experienced the love of Jesus, you know it's real. You know there's power. They can tell you all about Jesus, but until you experience it, all you are is an intellectual The gospel sounds through the saved. The gospel stumbles the sophisticated. 1 Corinthians 1.19 says that God destroys the wisdom of the wise. Have you ever been sharing the gospel with someone who doesn't believe? And you just can't win the argument? Let me tell you something, friend. I've shared the gospel with many people. I've shared the gospel in Torino, Italy, which is the world headquarters for the Church of Satan. The head missionary there said that there are, they call them mediums. They're they're witches. They're mediums that'll stand in between the Christian church in Torino and the church of Satan in Torino. They're right across the street from one another. And the mediums, the witches, will stand in the middle of the street trying to channel the energy to feel which one is more powerful. I've witnessed some people that you can tell them every argument in the book about the gospel but you're not going to win them. Can I give you some encouragement? It's not your job to win them. It's only your job to preach the gospel. You see, a lost person is like an old rusty bolt that you can't get loose. And the gospel is like WD-40. WD-40 will fix anything. You give me a can of uh, roll of duct tape, WD-40, and a Craftsman wrench, buddy, I'll fix anything around here. If it can't be fixed, it probably ain't worth fixing But see, what happens on that old rusty boat, you spray that WD-40 and you have to let it wait a while. You have to let it sit a while. You have to let it soak in. See, you don't have to win the old rusty boat. You just let the power soak in. And when you share the gospel, it might be five days later. It might be five years later. But that power is going to soak in and something's going to happen. And can't no old rusty sinner resist the power of the Holy Spirit. You just share the gospel. The gospel stumbles the sophisticated. Thirdly, it shuns the shrewd. 1 Corinthians 1.20 says, where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Let me ask you a question. Where is Socrates? Where is Aristotle? Where is Plato? Guess what? They're all six feet under, rotten in the ground. You know what Beethoven is doing right now? Decomposing. <laughs> Woo! Look at 
Listen, this is the truth. The only reason preachers tell jokes is so we can take a drink of water. <laughs> but where are they all right now? In the grave. Where is the wisdom of this world? In the grave. But let me ask you a question. Where is Jesus? Because that grave is empty. Because that tomb is empty. Jesus has ascended and he sits on a throne forevermore. The thing is, even the smartest people in the world have one big problem. Stephen Hawking. Did y'all hear about this? Big talking to science news right now. They, do, they think they've discovered what they call the Higgs boson particle. It's what they've called the God particle for 45 years. They said it makes matter possible. And scientists think they've discovered it. And what happens is the scientists think they discovered the Higgs boson. And on Yahoo, the talk news is something about Justin Bieber. You know, that's the world we live in today. But here's the thing. Even Stephen Hawking and even those people that, that discovered the Higgs boson, guess what? They got a problem. You know what it is? Death. All of them got a big problem. Death. And they don't have a solution. You take the smartest cat in the world, he ain't going to figure out how to solve that problem. But Jesus, who never went to college, didn't write a doctoral thesis. He had the solution. And the solution was in his blood. When he shed his holy blood, he conquered the greatest problem of mankind. And that is death. You see, I don't mean this disrespectfully. I'll put myself in the category. The dumbest Christian has figured out the greatest solution in life. He's got the solution to the greatest problem in life. You know what? If you know how to conquer death, you're smarter than any astrophysicist out there. They're going to die. Jesus actually figured out two problems. Physical death and spiritual death. Because look, somebody says, uh, well, Jesse, don't you want this to happen? Why ain't you worried about this in your life? Let me tell you something. Jesse Watkins died many years ago. And Jesus is letting, living in me. Once you die to yourself, there's no longer things that's going to worry you. You know why? Because the old flesh is gone. But Jesus is living now. Amen? Amen? Secondly, the gospel cannot be found. It finds us. This is going to be hard for somebody to understand. 1 Corinthians 1.22 says, Jews look for a sign. Greeks seek after wisdom. Here's the key. No one is looking for the gospel. No one is looking for Jesus. The Bible declares there is none righteous, no, not one. Mankind had existed for 4,000 years before the cross. And in all that time, they were able to study nature. They were able to study theology and psychology and every ology you can think of. But they still didn't know God. You see, instead of trying to know God, man tried to be God. They constantly fashioned idols in their own image. They constantly made rules to fit themselves. You know what somebody who lives trying to make rules to fit themselves, you know what they're trying to be? They're trying to be God. They're trying to be God of their own universe. They don't want to live by God's rules. They want to make rules to fit themselves. But it says God was pleased, God was pleased that a foolish message would be salvation. Think about what all the other religions preach. What does Islam teach you? Go fly yourself into a plane and destroy a building and you'll have 70 virgins. 
right? What does Buddhists teach you? You got to be nice to all the ants and all the caterpillars because they have a soul too. And if you're nice to all the ants and the caterpillars, you can be reincarnated. And maybe you'll be a prince. And if you're a good prince, maybe you'll be a king. And if you're a good king, one day you'll reach nirvana. What does Christianity preach? God died. That's, that's just plain foolish, pastor. You're exactly right. To conceive that God sent his son that was God in flesh to die is foolish to the world. Because everyone says, you have to earn it. You have to be good enough to get to heaven. Christianity says, God, let his son die for you. And God was pleased that the foolishness of that message would bring salvation. Because even the smartest minds in the world can't figure it out. No one is looking for the gospel. Secondly, no one is qualified for the gospel. 1 Corinthians 1.26 says this. And he th- I think he's talking about friendship church. He says, not many of you were wise. Not many of you were mighty. I'm just picking on everybody, Okay. But listen, it refers to all of us. God didn't look down and point you out because you were, you, were uh, you know, top of, the, top of the senior class or something like that. He pointed you out so that his glory would be revealed through you. He found a nerdy little seventh grader that couldn't even make the middle school football team. He says, I can use you for my kingdom. It don't matter where you've been. It don't matter what you've done. It don't matter how bad you've been. That means God wants to use you all the more to glorify himself. You see, because God loves taking trash and turning it into treasure. You say, Pastor, you don't know what I've done. Let me tell you something. Christian, you don't know what God's done for you. Because God sacrificed his own son for all of your sin to cover it all up. God did not see fit to save you because you had some intrinsic quality of good view, of goodness. He saved you because he has the intrinsic quality of goodness. He even tells them, you weren't even wise by human standards. <laughs> you weren't even smart that people thought you were smart. But I called you anyway. God specializes in taking something normal and turning it into something spectacular. He turned the water into the wine. He took two fish and he fed 5,000. He takes something normal and makes something spectacular. So you may think, Pastor, I'm just a normal person. Let me tell you, God wants to take your normal and make it his spectacular. Every day you wake up and you hear the devil say, oh, you're just normal. You can't do anything. Don't listen to the devil. Listen to the God. God says, I use normal all the time. He used a little shepherd boy out there taking care of filthy, stinky sheep. He used a prostitute in the Bible. He used the tax collectors. He used the sinners. My goodness, he even used a donkey. God use a donkey, he'll use you. No one is strong enough for the gospel. First Corinthians 28, 
says that the base things of the world are the things which are despised and the things which are not to bring to things that are. Let me break this scripture down because I had to focus on this and meditate on it for a good while. He empowered the weak in order to depower the strong. You see, he didn't choose you because you were strong enough. He chose you because you were weak. And in your weakness, he is made strong. Uh, Some people with their high and lofty degrees think they are intelligent enough for the gospel. But you were never intelligent enough. Because God chose a foolish message to put down the wisdom of the world. And the church does a disservice when it thinks it can take it can take the message of the gospel and make it look like the wisdom of the world. It's not supposed to. It's supposed to be something that eight-year-old kids can carry around. It's supposed to be something that a 70-year-old man who's never graduated from school can carry around. Stop thinking that because you didn't go to theology school, God can't use you for his kingdom. Or that you can't teach Sunday school. Or you can't be a preacher. God never designed it that way in the first place. If you can understand this, Jesus died for you, you can preach. Lastly, the gospel cannot be equaled. Because Jesus in the gospel humbles the proud. There's no proud and pompous people in the church. If they are, then they're not understanding the gospel. It says in 1 Corinthians 1.29 that no flesh should glory in his presence. Your translations say that no flesh may boast. You don't go around puffed up because you're a Christian. You're better than other people. Matter of fact, anyone familiar with the Christian recording artist Rich Mullins? Did y'all listen to his music, Rich Mullins? He had a great quote. Let me tell you something about Rich Mullins. Rich Mullins was one of the highest selling recording Christian artists in the 70s and 80s. He sold everything he had, went and lived on a tribe of Native Americans in a trailer and spent his life sharing the gospel with the Native Americans. Someone said, Rich, how much do you make for being a a, a recordist and a songwriter? He said, I don't know. So what do you mean you don't know? He said, well, everything that comes in is, is controlled by a board of directors and, uh, and it goes to the ministry, but, but I just get a paycheck. And he made the average working salary of the average working man in America, which at that time was $28,000. Now, now, let me preface that with what he said. He says, God did not give us the Bible so that we could show we are right. He gave us the Bible to show we are wrong. God never gives us the Bible so we can pray it around looking like we've got the answer and we've got it all figured out. What the gospel should show us is that I couldn't figure it out on my own. I was never smart enough to begin with and I can't boast of myself because I didn't save myself. And that's a humbling message. I don't wake up and boast in me. I wake up and boast in Christ. Because the gospel humbles the proud. The gospel is not your hammer to browbeat others. It is your bridge to show them away. The law was a saw. It could only divide. But the gospel was the nail. It joins. 
You can't boast in your own salvation. And listen, anyone that believes you can choose your salvation is someone who believes you can lose your salvation. And let me make this point clear. If you weren't smart enough to choose it, that means God chose you. I got to say that again. The Bible says you weren't even smart enough to choose it. So that means God chose you. Some churches and some preachers have built a ministry preaching that salvation can be lost. But brothers and sisters, that's not the gospel. You know why? I can't lose something I don't own. Jesus owns me. His blood purchased me. And Jesus is not an Indian giver. He doesn't purchase salvation just to take it back. He humbles the proud. He sanctifies the sinner. It says it is because of him in the first place. It is because of him, in verse 30, that you are in Christ Jesus. That tells us there himself. It's because of God uh, initially that you're even a Christian. And it says three things. It says, who became for us wisdom from God for righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. Let me give you some encouragement. I'm in the home stretch right now. Let me share three things. It's because of wisdom that you became righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this. It says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him you might become the righteousness of God. I want you to do something. For the next week, I want you to wake up in the morning and you say, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I've been reading a book lately, and it shares a lot of testimonies of people who've overcome addictions. It shares about one man who tried to quit smoking. He tried the patch. He tried the pill. He tried the gum. He tried about everything you can imagine. But what he started doing was getting up, quoting this verse. He started quoting, I am the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ. And he said, slowly by slowly, as he understood that he was righteous through Christ... That righteousness started making that lustful feeling fade away. Started fading away. Let me tell you something, friend. You're not a sinner anymore. You are now righteous. There's no righteous person that would ever describe themselves as a sinner. You are the righteousness of God through Jesus Christ. Secondly, it says for the purpose of sanctification... Romans eleven sixteen 16 says, if the first fruit is holy, which is Jesus, then the lump is also holy. If the root is holy, then the branches are holy. You wake up every morning and you say, I'm holy because Jesus Christ, my root is holy. You're a holy people, a royal priesthood called to be holy, tied to a holy, holy root. The first fruits was holy to make you holy. You're not supposed to walk around beat down because the devil makes you think you're still a sinner. You walk around with your head up because you've been made holy by Jesus Christ. And then thirdly, for the purpose of redemption. Galatians 3.13 says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. It is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. Christ redeemed us for the purpose of redemption. Lastly, it removes the self and self-righteous. This is the last verse, 1 Corinthians 1.31. It is written, let he who glorifies glory in the Lord. Yours may say, let he who boasts, boast in the Lord. Someone who is self-righteous boasts in themselves. 
But here's what I'm telling you, friend. Christ will take the self out of self-righteous. You can be made righteous, but not for the purpose of yourself. It's because Jesus has made you righteous and that you can boast in Jesus. You're not a Christian so your nose can be up in the air with everyone better than you. Let me tell you what Jesus did, the most righteous person of the all. He took his nose in the air and he brought it down to the ground and he washed the feet of those. If you want to be righteous, start serving other people. If you want to be righteous, be willing to get dirty and get into people's lives. We'll never see anyone saved by having our self-righteous selves high on the hill because we're too good for anybody. So yes, through Christ you are now righteous, but not for the sake of boasting in yourself. This is why Paul tells us in Romans 1.16 that he is not ashamed of the gospel. Why would anyone be ashamed of the gospel? Preacher, why would anyone be ashamed of the gospel? I don't really know, but evidently a lot are. I don't know anyone would be ashamed of the person that saved them. Listen, the day after that man drowned at the beach, we saw five lifeguards rushing into the, to the surf. There was a young lady struggling out in the water, and there was a man out there. This is not a joke. There's no, there's no joke to this story. The man had one arm. His arm was cut off about right here, and he had one arm on a little boogie board trying to swim out and save this girl. Well, logic will tell you that a one-armed man ain't going to save no girl. So these lifeguards rushed out there, saved them, and brought them back in. Now, how many uh, that young lady or that man would say, man, I'm, in, I'm embarrassed about that lifeguard. I mean, he really shouldn't have done that in front of all these people. Wouldn't that be stupid? Wouldn't that be silly? But Jesus has pulled you away from sin, hell, and death, and we're ashamed of him. We won't even talk about them at work because it's not politically correct. Shoot. When did politics become the defining force of us anyway? We need to start talking what's religiously correct. Let me tell you something. If you can't talk about Jesus at your workplace, well, the next thing you know, you can't talk about him with your neighbors because it's not neighborly correct. And the next thing you know, you're not talking about him at all. Be creative. Talk about him in the bathroom stall when no one else is around. Talk about them in the elevator where they don't have people walking by. You can be creative with sharing the gospel. But Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Most of Christians are ashamed of it because they never share it. But once you realize that it is the power of God for salvation, you'll realize that the gospel is not making yourself look better or making yourself look holier than thou, but it's pointing others to Jesus. I want you to do this. If you haven't done this so far, I want you to look at your notes. In your notes on the bottom is a memory verse. You see, God's been speaking to me. He says, Jesse, my people don't know the gospel because they don't know my word. Here's what we're going to do because our strategy is know the gospel every week. We're going to have a memory verse. See, most of us, when we were growing up as kids in vacation Bible school, memorized verses all the times. But then we get adults and we stop doing it. Ain't that backwards? Matter of fact, I need Jesus more now than I ever did back then. <laughs> Amen? <laughs> I need Jesus now. I want you to go 
and you put this in your Bible or you fold it up and you put it in your dashboard and you meditate on this verse all week. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed. You've been listening to me share about the gospel and if you don't have it, you don't have life. All you have is sin and lust and all the things which constantly leave you empty. Let me ask you a question today, friend. Is there any reason that you would not accept Jesus as your Savior today? Is there any reason? We're going to ask our musician to come right quick. Listen, Tyler's not here to lead this song, but you know it. It's 312 softly and tenderly. Do me a favor. When they start playing, you start singing. I'm going to pray. But friend, I ask this question. Is there any reason that you will not come to Jesus today? That you not put your faith and trust in him today? After I pray, if you're ready to receive Christ, you come say, Preacher, I need Jesus. If you're ready to become a member of this church... To become part of friendship, you come and say, Pastor, I'm ready to join in what God's doing here. Whatever God lays on your heart, you come when we stand and sing. Let me pray. Father God, I pray today that you will take this message, which the flesh can't understand, and reveal it by the Spirit. Use it for your glory. May you be the God of the harvest today. And we give all glory and honor to you. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.